0: I'm riding solo. Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and the next 30 minutes or so, I'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. Now, as per usual, we would be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While, in addition to that, there would also be some off-pitch activities that have caught all of our eyes and they'd be getting all of our attention in the next hour. However, it's slightly different this week as it's just me. I'll be carrying the load on my own, which means it's none up top. I'll be in the line, I'll be wearing the captain's armbands, and let's go. Okay, just to be perfectly clear, Max and Carl are off doing some scouting trips. I hope they are going to be joining me next week. I hope you guys are well. Matthew was going to be an absolute hero and take the question and answer burden on his own. However, in a neat plot twist about an hour before the show was going to record, I've got a leak in my office, which means I could blow myself up at any point, which not only do I not want from a housing point of view, but also I'd like to do this pod next week with a full repertoire of guests. So with that in mind, Matthew, you stand down, you relax. If you listen to this, fine. If not, no bother. And I'll be taking it from here. Right then, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? We were going to do a piece on Diego Maradona this week, but Carl's not here again. I think the ship has pretty much sailed on terms of respect, so I think we'll just leave it and say rest in peace, Diego. But what I will say is that I watched the Celtics St. Johnson highlights, don't ask, on Sunday, and they were doing a minute silence. Now, of course, there's no statute of limitations on when you can pay your respects. Absolutely not. But I just thought, what, 10 days passed Is this an opportunity for Scottish people to show a little bit more anti-English sentiment and praise the the efforts of Diego with that goal? I don't know. Maybe I'm reading a bit too much into this. But I did think, really? Another minute's silence. But again, people want to pay their respects whenever they want. Who's for me to say when they can and can't do it? But I just thought it was a little bit, I don't know funny is the word, but yeah, indifferent. But... Talking of Celtic, I know we don't usually go north of the border, but why not? Because, Neil Lennon, there's a bit of a collapse going on at Celtic Park. Well, quite a collapse, really, when you consider that you know, this is the great push for 10 in a row. It doesn't look like 10 in a row, does it? It looks like one too many. Now, of course, when a team is so dominant, that streak will have to end at some point. You know, It's just the nature of football. To get that far is incredible. Of course, people will say, Yes, but it's it's nine in a row, but really it's a lesser number because you consider the handing of the title last season, even if that's the argument, Celtic were the dominant four, so that's not really solid. Also, of course, Rangers were plotting about in the part-time leagues for a long time, so it's nine in number, but is it nine in real quality? But, of course, the history books will only point to the number. So, with that, obviously, you've got your nine, you're pushing for ten. This is a massive disappointment. If the collapse in inverted commas, come after getting 10, and this is the attempt for an 11-in-a-row title streak, then I don't think there would be as much anger or vitriol that we're seeing at the moment. But of course, you know, this is history in the making, or it's trying to be history in the making, and Rangers are obviously doing incredibly well themselves, but Celtic are just shooting themselves in the foot, and you do wonder how much time Neil Lennon has left. They've got a Scottish Cup final next weekend against Hearts, the delayed version. They lose that head's on the chopping block, if it's not already. If they lose to Rangers over the Christmas period, then I think it's done and dusted, really, isn't it? So we are looking at press statements from the club, backing Neil Lennon. But are they sort of just tightening the noose and sort of saying, okay, well, we're supporting him for now. But if results keep going south, we can only do so much. Do they chuck more money at it in January, you wonder? Or do they just have to admit that 10 in a row is not going to happen and they try and just get to the end of the season... Reboot and go again. It's an interesting one, and it's also interesting for Steven Gerrard because this season would constitute a third season in terms of a trophy blank if Rangers win nothing. It's not looking that way at the moment, but when you consider that this is a man who, I wouldn't say he's been tarting himself up for the Liverpool job, but it wouldn't be the biggest jump to say that he is going to be an eventual contender. But he needs the Rangers job to go well now. Whether that's Rangers to a Premier League club in between, or Rangers and the Championship club in between, and then Liverpool, perhaps, or if it's doing really well, at Rangers as well as you can be, be that winning the league, going far in Europe, and then obviously the timing of Jurgen Klopp as and when he departs. Then of course all these sort of interchangeable factors need to interlink at some point. But he needs to win stuff. He can't go to Rangers for three seasons, be a complete bust, and say actually, yeah. I'm the front runner for the Liverpool job whenever it opens up. That can't happen. This needs to happen. So it's always going to be a big season for Gerrard, not just because of the stopping of 10, but also the winning of one for himself. And it's looking that way north of the border. Right, south of the border now. Let's earn the bread and butter that we usually do. So, of course, being a Tottenham fan, I kind of have to start with them, not because of the, the bias that I would show or the fact they're top of the league. But the North London derby is always a story in itself. Me, Cole, and a couple of other guests spoke about this on the Coming Spurs podcast last night. So if you want to have a whole hour of Tottenham musing, go to that one. Really, it's a case of possession. Is possession nine-tenths of football's law? And you'd have to say on the evidence of Sunday, no, it's not. Because Arsenal, for all their endeavour, it was possession with no real bite. Going across the pitch rather than going up the pitch. Yes, they put putting loads of crosses. One of them was quite good, Kieran Tierney, in the second half. Aubameyang was unfortunate not to nestle it in the net. But he's not a striker who is good, really, in the air. I think it's, what, three goals in Arsenal colours in the Premier League from an aerial threat for the Gabonese hitman. So you're sort of thinking, OK, well, why are we playing like that? Also, why are they playing Lacazette as a number 10? Again, square pegs round holes. We spoke about this a few weeks ago with Aubameyang playing out wide, Lacazette through the middle, they've switched it slightly, it's Lacazette behind Aubameyang in the central striker role, but again, that's not working, there's no bravery, there's no sort of plan for Arteta to say, look, you know, I've got my system, but if one player doesn't fit in the system, be it one of those two, whoever, you can't start, it's too much jamming in the wrong positions, and it's costing Arsenal quite dearly, and when you consider their 15th, I know a lot of talk is trust the process and all that, but how much trust will the board have? Is Arteta on a hiding to nothing? Is he a man who is going to be charged with overseeing a really painful rebuilding process? You know, a really, really painful one. Because if you look at what Mourinho was was charged with when he came in, Spurs were 14th, a similar situation. But you could argue, quite comfortably, there was a lot more talent in the squad. Arsenal have got a lot more work to be done. And you do wonder if Arteta is going to be allowed to carry out all that work, and see it through to the finish. Has the FA Cup bought him time? Perhaps. Has a lack of money bought him time to say, look, we haven't got anything, the cupboard's bare, on you go. But even with low expectations, 15th is far too low, really. And I think when you're an Arsenal fan, it's very nice to have Schadenfreude as a Tottenham fan, but they look broken. And, you know, you laugh, really, but it's unlike them. It's unlike them because they're usually crowing and pontificating that they're the best co-in London, and they're absolutely not that. Even West Ham are above them. So you're sort of thinking, something has to change. But what is the change? Is it manager or personnel? And to be honest, it's a lot easier to change your manager. Talking of entertainment, though, I thought the game was certainly entertaining in itself. But Graham Souness, Jamie Redknapp didn't. Now, I forgot you had to entertain those two on your way to victory. I didn't know those were the rules, but it turns out they are, according to Sky Sports. It's nonsense really, isn't it? It's looking down the list and thinking what other things can we try and criticise Tottenham about? And again, it's just a flat argument. So, is it sour grapes? Is there an agenda? Are Sky really anti-Tottenham? It's hard to say really, isn't it? It it all depends on who you support and how you frame these thoughts. I wouldn't go as far as saying they're anti-Tottenham but it's not in their narrative. You know, It's not the biggest clubs winning the biggest prizes. This is the almost a little engine that could. You know, it's not a, a Leicester type story, but in the grand scheme of the big six, they are the kind of the have-nots rolling the haves. And I think this is going to bloody a few noses if Tottenham, and this is a big if, they do in the league. But we're 11 weeks in and you can't, sort of, you can't really start saying or stop saying, oh, well, you know, if, or I don't know, have we got a chance? You know, we've passed three big tests and you, then you're thinking to yourself, Okay, if you pass these tests, got seven points. At some juncture, you are going to have to believe that this is at least some form of title tilt. You know, unless it's a Herculean collapse over Christmas and you end up seventh or eighth, and you think, do you know what? We've blown it already. Let's just focus on the Europa League. Why not believe? I think Tottenham fans have been guilty of not believing in the past. It's Spursy or oh, with Bottlers. If there's any man who can change that mindset, it is Jose Mourinho. And hopefully this continues. So let's move on from Tottenham. Go back to Arsenal very quickly. They need a creative engine. They haven't got one. You know, it's all very well playing party in shaka for 45 minutes, but you're ceding so much ground to your position. They bring on Ceballos and they look better. But again, passing across the pitch rather than in into those zones that can really hurt Tottenham. For every time that happens... Mesut Ozil must be at home thinking, yeah, 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 Like, I've got the easiest job in the world. You know, 350 grand a week to be the Arsenal social media manager. You know what I mean. So, I think his personal ship has sailed in terms of getting him back in the team. But if Arsenal do need something, it's definitely that proper number 10. And they're apparent to Ozil that they just haven't replaced and they don't look like replacing anytime soon. And if they can't solve that, because they have pretty much solved their defensive issues in the main, of course, you know, they're not watertight, but they're not as clowning about in the sort of mustafi Louise, axis you know They're better. There is a, a bit more solidity there. However, they've sacrificed their attacking guile for that. And I think the balance has gone the, the other way. And if it can't be restored, they are going to be in big trouble. Right. Talking of big trouble, Wolves. Because Raul Jimenez, last week or the week before, a sickening injury. There's no doubt about that. And... As we said last week, we all send our hopes, prayers that he gets back as soon as possible. Of course, we don't know when. You don't even know if he's going to be the same kind of player. Will that injury even allow him to play? You know, it's really a question that has to be asked, unfortunately. And with that, Wolves are now going to have to ask themselves: Have they lost a focal point in terms of their attack? Because for all the cuteness and the neatness that those attacking midfielders and the wide forwards have, they need a focal point, and they don't have that, and that could be a huge problem for Wolves in the second half of the season. Of course, January could solve that, but with Jimenez being such a talisman for the team, it's going to have Nuno thinking, oh God, how do we get out of this bind? The bind could be solved by Fabio Silva. He's 40 million, he's 18. It's a big arse though, but if there's ever a time to shine, this is the one. If he's given the opportunity, he quite simply has to take it. Talking of opportunity, Liverpool certainly took theirs at the weekend. For all the talk of injuries and regression, I mean, they're just going along quite nicely, aren't they? You know, what injuries, what regression? 4-0 against Wolves, when you consider the perceived level of opposition that Wolves can muster, that's a really good result at home. And more importantly, in front of fans. 2,000 of them in great voice, and not just at Liverpool, at Tottenham, or at Chelsea, West Ham... And it's going to be really important for those clubs, for all clubs, really. It's going to be so important to get those fans back in, get them in good voice. And we'll see, perhaps, whether the, the balance of power in terms of home wins and away wins starts to shift. Because it's actually been more away wins than home wins this season in the first 92 matches that we've already played. So if you take Project Restart as 92 matches, and then obviously a comparative sample of this season... Everyone was saying, oh, home advantage is done towards the end of last season. It turns out it wasn't really. It actually saw more home wins. This time, completely different. Now, whether that's because of, I don't know, um, clubs not travelling on the day anymore, they can afford to travel beforehand, stay in a hotel and play, whereas last season in Project Restart they were playing and travelling on the same day, so you're not as fresh. Maybe that extra bit of freshness in terms of hotel stays and R&R, shall we say, is aiding them, but there could be a multitude of factors, really. But I think fans coming back might tip the balance. Talking of tipping the balance, Liverpool's goalkeeper. I mean, what a difference confidence makes. Something similar happened at Chelsea when they brought in Edouard Mendy. Now, I'll call him Kelleher because I can't pronounce his first name. So I'll do him a disservice if I try. But he looks really assured, doesn't he? Confidence personified. Not only against Wolves, but in their Champions League win in midweek. And you're sort of thinking should Allison pick up more injuries or be on the sideline for longer than he needs to be, they've finally got someone they can trust at the back. Because Adrian, for all his faults, they were all too apparent in that 7-2 defeat to Aston Villa, weren't they? And you're now sort of thinking, for him to be still the number two and a kid's usurped him, his time is sort of done, really. Not to say he'd be straight at the exit door, but he's not in favour. It's very hard to recover from shipping seven when you're the backup goalkeeper because you're trying to earn trust and if you've, you know, sold so many goals to the opposition, it's very hard to get that back. So it's looking very good for him. It's also looking good for Nico Williams. I was going to ask Matthew about him, because I know he's Welsh. If he's not Welsh, I do apologise. But I was going to ask Matthew, so he'll be better informed to give an opinion. But he looked good. I know Alexander-Arnold come on and assisted the last goal, but Williams put in a good shift. And again, it just adds to the uh, the red machine. And Klopp can keep trusting players that even if, uh, if key men are injured, it doesn't matter, just slotting another one in the jigsaw. And it's no accident that Liverpool joint up at the moment. Also no accident, actually, Manchester United. Now, we spoke a couple of weeks back about them being way over par by our mathematical metric, but they made it four straight wins. And if Oli got the line-up wrong in the first 45 minutes, he certainly had the nous to make the necessary changes after the interval. Changes that certainly worked. But in fairness to West Ham, they had chances in the first 45 minutes. They could have been almost out of sight, really. Sebastian Haller slipping was probably the... Um, the kind of the first forty-five minutes in a microcosm, really, where all that thrust going forward, by the goal they scored, they failed to put United to the sword, and they'll look at that as missed opportunity to really kick on and turn the game in their favour. However, there was a little bit of luck when it comes to United. The second goal that they scored, should that have been out of play? I mean, it's hard to sort of say. Really, from the naked eye, you'd say yes. Obviously, the linesman, sorry, the System S3 has missed that. And then you're sort of, sort of then you're sort of thinking, okay, is there a blind spot from VAR technology? Because I don't think they're set up to look at that. Or if they are, can they have the same kind of technology as a, a Hawkeye or the measure with the dots and all that? I don't think there is. I think they're literally just taking the same still image that we are and surmising whether it's out of play or not. If If it's different, and I apologise, but that's my understanding... And then you're sort of thinking, hang on, technology's not up to speed here. But again, the assistant referee needs to be admonished a bit more because he's too busy concentrating on the offside. So harsh, really. Um, but what can you do? If technology is meant to be this all-seeing eye and it's not, then again, we're up against it. Now, VAR going on to Monday. We might as well hot foot to Monday because more VAR. I mean, I don't even know what the rules are anymore because my understanding is that it's a clear and obvious error is when you go to utilise VAR. So, looking at the Carl Walker-Peters foul, to me that looks like a free kick outside the box. It looks like he's literally thrown himself into the box. So he's starting from out to in and works his way over the threshold. But I don't see how that's such an incorrect decision to go, actually, you need to look at that again, that's definitely a penalty. Like It's too ambiguous to say whether it's one or the other. Because of that ambiguity, it should be a free kick. Now, Southampton have got lucky there. Now, you could argue they deserve the win on the whole, but that stroke of luck they were afforded late on was certainly the key difference, and very, very harsh on on Brighton. But again, you know, we're seeing different applications to what is meant to be a framework of laws and rules, and I just don't know anymore. Uh, If I asked Matthew or Cole or Max, I don't think they'd even know, to be honest. They'd probably have a guess, like we all do, but it's just... Another week, another angle on how it's interpreted. And you're just sort of thinking, I really don't know. Are we at the point where it needs to be unplugged? I don't think it'll be unplugged throughout the season. I mean, if I'm honest, I don't think it'll be unplugged for next season. But it needs such an improvement. It needs an overhaul. And whether that overhaul comes from the people who use it, the laws that people have to uphold, I don't know. But it needs fixing because this is just getting ludicrous now. Brighton, I read a stat earlier, they're actually the most aggressive team in the Premier League thus far. Which you wouldn't really sort of think about Brighton. They're not necessarily a team which is nasty or dirty. They don't have that image, but they're racking up the most fouls. Now whether they're tactical fouls or misplaced fouls, I don't know. Obviously, yesterday being a perfect example with the free kick slash penalty. But it's almost a a kind of badge that you wouldn't place for a grand team. And it makes you wonder what they're they're not doing, by the obvious. Scoring goals, conceding less goals, to earn the necessary points that their performances sometimes deserve. So, of course, their heads are above water for now. And if you ask a Brighton fan at the end of the season, they'll take that because it's not to do them a disservice either. But if they're in the Premier League, it doesn't matter if they finish seventeenth, eleventh, ninth, twelfth. You know, it's just being a part of the gang again is all that really matters. Of course, there's prize money for higher up the table, but fundamentally, it's being in the Premier League. So if they finish sixteenth and keep bobbing along then it's not the the biggest crisis. It's not like Arsenal being 15th and then bobbing along. That's a crisis. It's all about your relative expectations at the start of the season. So Brighton, I guess, will be okay if they keep chipping away with points every now and again. But it must be a point of frustration for Potter and his players because they are playing better than their points tally would suggest. I'm not going to go into expected points. I don't even understand that. I can understand expected goals because I'm going for the tangent here, but... Expected goals, it's all marked out of a scale of 0 to 1, isn't it? You know, how strong a chance was, how you should have scored, etc. Expected points, you can only win one or three points. Of course, you know, you can earn no points by losing. So I have no idea how a team can be gaining 1.76 expected points for a match. People are just making this up. This is a wind-up. This is something that, if you're in the know, it's a big joke, because I don't get that. If someone listens to this and says, Dan, you're an idiot, I'll explain it to you, They're absolutely fine. But I can't understand for the life of me how those metrics are being applied for expected points. This is just stats on top of stats on top of stats, which aren't even really moving the needle. Like, What extra insight are you learning from that and thinking, yeah, actually, that does make sense. I've learned a bit more because of expected points. I think it's bollocks. So... <laughs> So that might even be me being a Luddite, which I don't think I am because I've got a statistical background. So I don't think it's even that. I just feel this isn't really a stat that we should all be spouting out as gospel. I don't think it's where it needs to be. So I'm going to leave expected points and move on. Where should I go next? Let's go to, well, talking of points, precious points. Sheffield United, they've still got one this season and you're sort of thinking after 11 games, that is a horrific record. Extrapolate that. That's three points over 33 games. Let's chuck in, I don't know, two more wins just because we're feeling generous towards the ends. Even even that, you still think where on earth they come from. Now, I'm not going to suggest they get, what, six points, nine points all season, but if things continue, they could be the worst Premier League team of all time. Even surpassing Matthew's fears that Fulham might do it, I think Sheffield United could be that bad. Now, you'd like to think that Change will happen eventually. And again, as I said with Arsenal, you either change your manager, you change your players. Chelsea United haven't really got the money to change your players. And with a manager who has stunk the joint out, really, if we're honest, for the last 14 games across this season and the end of last, that's one point out of 42 on offer. Christmas is coming up. There's a lot of fixtures. If I'm the chairman, I'm pulling the trigger. I think you have to. Thanks ever so much for your service, Chris. You've been fantastic. And I mean every word of that. That's not me. Actually, maybe I do mean it myself, but that's the chairman. I'm doing a bit of role play. But I think it's time to go because there's just no idea. Because sometimes you can say they've been unlucky, but Sunday they were masters of their own downfall. One all, last minute, injury time, what have you. Just see it out. Get the job done. Nothing silly. What happens? Something silly. And Jamie Vardy, you only need to give him half a chance and he'll take it. And my word did he take it. And what a lovely visual of him booting the corner flag. Now, of course, some will sort of say, oh, you know, why is he kicking an LGBT rainbow flag? That's not the intention. That's not the message. It's simply his dislike of Chef Wednesday, which is quite apparent, and he just booted the corner flag. So for that, you know, I commend you. We want to see more teams getting punished by their rivals in terms of players and really showing their dislike. Because you don't really see it anymore. Even the sort of celebrations against a former club, you want to be seeing that. Kylian Mbappe scored a couple against Monaco and he was giving it all and you're like, yes, this kid is going to go far. I know he's won a World Cup but anyone who actually celebrates actively and I mean properly against their old club is really alright in my book. Right, Everton. We need to really talk about this kazoo. Now I can't really do it justice on my own so we'll probably save it. So the fact Matthew's not here means no kazoo and that means no Calvert-Lewin goal this week. That's it. That's the science. Although I explained this quantum theory to my friend and he said you have missed a trick here because Everton are sponsored by Kazoo now I know it's Kazoo with a C not a K. coincidence hmm I think not however it is a case of one step forward two steps back for Everton after they beat Fulham what two three weeks ago since then they've only picked up one point for the next six on offer after that great start I think it's apparent they're not going to pull up as big a trees as they'd like I'm not going to say this season's going to be a failure because they could win the FA Cup or what have you. But all the talk of smashing that glass ceiling, I don't think it's going to happen. I think they are where they are pretty much. And I think they had their hopes lifted from such a good start. But you take away the pieces of the jigsaw when it comes to injuries and suspension and they're not the same boats. They're not the same power. So unfortunately, I think it's going to be another season of just missing out in Europe for the toffees. One team that probably won't miss out in Europe at all, I mean, they could even win the Champions League, is Chelsea. Nine unbeaten now. The Second longest streak in the division. Now, they might be slightly under the radar, but with the business they've done over the summer, you expect them to be where they are, really. That's no real shock. However, with Liverpool facing Tottenham in a week's time, is it eight days, depending on when you listen to this, but next midweek, if they take points off each other, Chelsea could be ready to pounce and go top of the shop. So they're just on the outside lane of any uh, title race. If we call this the kind of First lap of the the long middle distance race that um, the rivals will be playing out. So I think Chelsea, yeah, they're just sort of, they're not the pace setters, but they are going to be ready to pounce at the right time. So do not write them off at all. You can't really write off Man City either, can you? Because there is still work to be done. But after getting the better of Burnley, that sort of awoke them from their slumber. They made light work of Fulham, which was not to be unexpected. Sorry, Matthew. But, you know, that's two in a row now. They're going to look to make it three in the Manchester Derby. If they win that, again, they sort of take points off. They're at Crosstown Rivals. They keep the momentum going. They've still got that game in hand. So, again, they were massively over par. But the table kind of sort of told a slightly different story because of the positions rather than the points. But with the points being so congested, you only need a mini streak or half-decent streak to get going. And then um, things look a lot better, as they have done for Man United. So City will be... They are there. With that game in hand, if they can beat Man United, win their game in hand, and they eventually get round to that, they're going to be in the mix. So I don't think you can really rule them out at all. So at the moment, you're looking for like a four horse race at the moment Leicester, a five horse race. Dare I even say Southampton? Probably stretching it a little, but Southampton could be the best place team to do a Wolves even more than Wolves, especially with Raul Jimenez's injury. So I think Southampton might be the team to be the best of the rest, or you know. The breakers of the big six. I don't know if you could use the notion of the big six anymore, with Arsenal being where they are. The traditional top six, or whatever. That sort of title. I don't think we're going to see those six in the top six. I think we're going to see at least one or two new entrants, depending if Man United can actually get their act together properly. But Leicester, Southampton, they're the untraditional set. They could be in that mix. Leicester probably more than Southampton, but the way Southampton are playing, do not rule them out either. And if they can get European football, that would be an incredible achievement. Fulham, I'll leave to Matthew. He's better voice to do that than me. Max would be delighted with um, Palace's emphatic win over West Brom. Of course, we've got our next pod derby of the week next week as Palace play host to Spurs. So we'll see the fallout of that next Tuesday. And that's pretty much it for your musings for this week. So thanks for sticking with me. If I've left anything out, get in touch with me at Real football Pod or at Dan Tracy 1983 Of course, we'll be back next week in one shape or another. Hopefully, I'll have some guests. More importantly, I haven't blown myself up. The office is intact for now, but that should be solved. You don't care about my office. More importantly, thanks for sticking with me for 30 minutes. You don't want 60 minutes of me. That's far too much. Nobody deserves that. So we'll consider this a bit of a win. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye.